Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios in Central Ohio, but you're hearing us over EWTN Radio. And again, it's a great pleasure to join you uh, in this in the midst of Holy Week. And uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with Holy Week, you know, we've had this is the end of Lent. We've had the the period of Lent in which we're modeling our lives after uh, the the time of of uh, discernment that our Lord went through, which was actually modeled after the discernment that Moses went through in the Old Testament, the, the 40 days. And we've gone through that period as Catholics examining our lives in relationship to our walk with Jesus Christ in obedience to his stipulations and in obedience to the church and how we are called to live our lives. And now as Holy Week, we're reflecting uh, most intimately on on uh, the meaning of our Lord's life, death, and resurrection. And that's this time of reflection. It can be a time of sacrifice, a time of fasting. And here we are on Wednesday uh, and before us is uh, the Tritium, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and, and then Sunday. And again, it's like the, the, the 11th hour as we examine the death and resurrection of our Lord. And we have as our guest on Deep in Scripture, the guest that I uh, had visit us on Journey Home Monday evening, Kevin Lowry. Uh, he's a writer and speaker on topics including faith, work, finances, and conversion. He's spent 20 years in secular finance and executive manager roles, and he's currently uh, serves as the chief operating officer here at the Coming Home Network International. Kevin and his wife Kathy are converts to the Catholic faith. He has eight children. He's the son of converts who were uh, a Presbyterian pastor, and he also has a blog on Grateful Convert. Dot com. Kevin, welcome back to the program. Thanks very much. You've joined us before on Deep in Scripture. Uh, this is Holy Week, uh, and it might be interesting as we look at Scriptures today. You know, Kevin, as I usually do on this program, I'm inviting guests to talk about Scriptures, guests to talk about Scriptures that helped them uh, in their walk with Jesus Christ, but particularly may have uh, awakened them to the church, or maybe the scriptures themselves were discoveries in relationship to understanding Catholic theology. And it, it might be nice to kind of have the both and, the reflections of that, as well as here we are in the midst of Holy Week, and what difference does this make in our lives? And particularly for you, Kevin, with your your book that's come out recently on Faith at Work, published by our Sunday Visitor, finding purpose beyond the paycheck. I mean, in many ways, your own conversion to the church was also a rediscovery of the relationship between faith and work. That's right. And in in many ways, uh, when I was growing up, my dad was, of course, a Presbyterian minister, but he also has a, a doctorate in business. So it it was somewhat natural that we got into discussions of, of our work but at the same time, there was always a faith perspective, um, so that the two topics kind of go naturally, at least in my mind. But when uh, I, I remember struggling as I went through Franciscan University and I had to take Catholic theology courses, I remember at, at some point there were certain verses that kind of jumped out at me that never had before. And in particular, uh, we went through some difficulties uh, along the way. And, and I know certainly I did with my wife, Kathy, uh, in our conversion process. We lost a lot of friends uh, along the journey. Um, I remember some, some friends taking me to task in, in the strongest terms, telling me that I was leading my family to hell, and, and uh, they were very critical uh, of the direction that I was headed. But at the same time, there was this discovery process that I was undergoing that was just so beautiful. And one of the, the verses that really grabbed me at the time that I had never seen in, in the same, at least through the same eyes before, was Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Yeah, let me read that. I, In fact, I'm wondering before we read it, because this 
verse deals with this topic direct or right. direct on. Absolutely. But again, just still, just to, I want to delay you just a little bit to uh, to talk about this uh, this awkward relationship between faith and works mm-hmm. that was very much a, a part of your upbringing as a Presbyterian, but you had contact with other Christian faiths. But, and I was a Presbyterian pastor. I was brought up Lutheran, and then mm-hmm. and then later uh, through seminary became a Presbyterian and, and then served 10 years as a Presbyterian pastor. So I had the Lutheran uh, understanding of faith and works growing up, mm-hmm. and then later, which is even more so as a Calvinist, that I believe that the the struggle between the relationship between faith and works that so comes out in Luther and Calvin makes it awkward in the Protestant realm to understand the relationship between faith and work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. apart from church on Sunday. Right, right. As you look back, I mean, was that kind of part of your journey away from a certain perspective? Sure. In in some regards, I, I had a good dose of that as well. And uh, it, it was through the conversion process that I, I began to really look at it differently so that I, I came to see, of course, faith was always important and always emphasized. But there was a bit of a healthy suspicion with regard to works. And, uh, you know, I had learned that, for example, Martin Luther wanted to throw out the entire book of James. And when you look at James, and I did at the time, I went back and I said, you know, it, it seems very clear that these are mutually complementary, that this is a false dichotomy to try to drive a wedge in between faith and work, because really they're, they're meant to go hand in hand. So that, at the same time, led to a different understanding of work in, in our professional or, or whatever uh, type of, of uh, uh, job that we have. And it became more than something where, for example, you would start your day with a prayer, and then you would just work as though no God existed for the rest of the day. That wasn't it. It was really more it turned into a process of seeking sanctification. So really seeking uh, to have the Lord bless every single small action. And it became much less about me appearing to be a Christian to others as to being a Christian for the Lord. And to try to even take, again, the the smallest little actions and to offer them up for his glory. And in that way, transform myself and hopefully be open so that the Holy Spirit could could take that work, imperfect as it may be, and use it for God's glory. Yeah, the, the emphasis in uh, against the value of our works in relationship to our salvation, and since the emphasis among so many Protestants is on salvation, that's the key. Right. Are you saved, and what must I do to be saved? And you know, if you said the prayer, then accepted Jesus, then you're saved. And that's all as a gift of grace through faith. We Catholics, we agree with that too. Mm-hmm. But the place of works and ignorance, uh, or at least a denial of James chapter 2, or pushing that aside as Luther tried to do, left this awkward relationship between one's faith and then how do I live my life? Does it make a difference? Of course, right. I should live it out in gratitude, right. charity, mm-hmm. Um, should, my faith should be expressed in the way I live. But there was always a struggle. The, the American Puritans, for example, ended up uh, with the conclusion that the only way you can know whether a person is saved is by the way they live their life. So works became a a very important expression of what was going on under the surface. Right. And so you had almost a legalism of, of works. But unfortunately, we've seen too many examples these days of people who appear to be living great lives, but inside, as it's turned out down the road, it's, it hasn't the, been so great. Yeah, there's no direct necessarily connect between right. between that. But what I think happened, Kevin, that I saw is that you have this idea that the, the direct connect between faith at work is only primarily done is if you're in ministry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's why, you know, you have to be a minister, a missionary, a youth minister. 
you might get a regular job to support you in your real right. ministry. And if you're a serious Christian, you're going to go into ministry yeah. at some point. But right. the idea right. that having a regular job, shining shoes or driving mm-hmm. a truck mm-hmm. or being a lawyer or being a politician or being a teacher, any of those things in itself is somehow a lesser value. Right. And it's interesting because another big piece of my journey that actually happened once we came into the church is fairly early on I was introduced to uh, the the uh, the personal prelator called Opus Dei, which means work of God in Latin. And it was fascinating because it, one of the influences on my father was Brother Lawrence and practicing the presence of God. And, uh, of course, Brother Lawrence was an 18th century monastic worker and talked about, for example, only bending over and picking up a, up a twig for the love of God. In other words, sort of help having the presence of God so thoroughly permeate our lives in every action that we do that when I, I stumbled across Opus Dei, which is, of course, far from the caricature that you see in the popular right. media. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it is, uh, it's an emphasis on making our work life especially and just every aspect of our daily lives holy. And to me, there was, there was a real fit there in the sense that it doesn't call us necessarily all to go into ministry. We can sanctify any sort of legitimate work. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. Because, so I spent, in fact, the first 20 years of my career, as you said, in financial and, and managerial roles and, and found it to be, in many ways, the front line of evangelization or the new evangelization because there are so many people out there who are hungering um, and and there, I, I make the point, in fact, in my book, that proselytization. I don't I don't know of any cases where that's brought someone to the greater glory of God. That it just it, banging people over the head with a Bible has never worked. At the same time, we can always act with uh, towards others, treat them with dignity, with respect, and with honor. Uh, in ways that correspond to our faith, but also correspond to their deep need to, to, to be known, to be loved. And this can happen in any environment whatsoever. So it, it really is kind of all-encompassing in the sense that, yes, we're called to perfect our, our human work to the greatest extent that we can. But then it goes beyond that. It, it, it sort of blossoms into workplace relationships and all these other aspects of work that really matter uh, and that can lead others to Christ in, in a very real way. Yeah, I, I was often, as a pastor, asked by young people, how can I know the will of God for my mm-hmm. life? Sure. How can I discern what I ought to do? Mm-hmm. How can I know whether what I am doing is correct? And the emphasis was always on the assumption that if they died tonight, and by the grace of God, they're saved because the the, right. You know, they're covered with the, uh, the righteousness of Jesus. Right. And uh, even though they're themselves uh, unchanged sinners, I mean, there's, that's kind of Luther's uh, caricature. Sure. Uh, that's a caricature of it. But that there was assumption that God, you know, that the parable of the talents points to the idea that the very job itself, the very voc- the occupation mm-hmm. itself, was at the top of the list of discerning what it is God wants you to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you got it right, God would be happy. And if sure. you missed it, he might be less happy right. with that. And in my own journey of faith coming to the Catholic Church, I came to recognize that there's a, a, a the pendulum swing towards, yes, God does indeed help us discern our vocation, single or married, religious or lay, priest or deacon or or lay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what ultimately the most important thing is, almost regardless of what specifically you're doing, what's the condition of your heart? Right, right. And in fact, in many ways, Mother Teresa said it just beautifully, and, and I'll paraphrase this, but essentially she said that the emphasis should be on faithfulness, not on success. 
And there's just so much beauty in that because we all know faithful people who are really, in all sincerity, attempting to do the will of God. But they can come up with all kinds of crazy ideas for what God wants. So within uh, the, the church now, there there's just a much better context <laughs> in which to make these determinations. Because first and foremost, we have to ask ourselves, is this in conformity with revealed truth? I, I mean, we yep. know that if we're called to to you know to murder somebody for example absolutely that can't go but it 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 goes much deeper than that because we're also given the grace of things like spiritual directors who are very well grounded and they give us objectivity which is so often necessary because uh, you know I know people who believe things with every fiber of their being and they're wrong because you've got other people on the exact opposite side of any given issue. But through some of the means that we're given, the the work of uh, St. Ignatius, for example, and and things things of that nature, we're really able to get a better handle on what does God want. But it's with a bit of a different emphasis, because it's not as if when we get to heaven, there's going to be this divine bargaining session to get in. You know, what are you going to say to God when when you die so that he'll let you into heaven. I mean, that's a false question. That's not the way it's going to work. God is the just judge, and he's going to know. He's going to know. And we're not going to have anything to say about it at that point. Well, that's, again, why uh, some of the great Catholic spiritual writers who've been critical of non-Catholic theology has said that the problem with non-Catholic theology often is that the number one question is, what must I do to be saved? And then that defines everything. Mm -hmm. And they've often said that at the core of that question, as the first question, what must I do to be saved, is it is essentially Mm -hmm. self-centered, self-focused about me, what must I, that's the operative word. Whereas the Catholic teaching has always been that the number one issue is glory to God, mm-hmm. giving glory to God. Number two is imitating God, holiness. Mm-hmm. And three, leave salvation to him. Mm-hmm. If you're focused on giving him the glory, whatever you're called to do in whatever work, place, situation you've called. And so again, Mother Teresa would say, I'm called to be in the streets with these people. Right. I might be a whole lot more comfortable. Right, you know, in a in a plush uh, office somewhere on a high rise building in downtown New York, but this is the place where I'm called number one to give God glory, mm-hmm. and number two to to grow in holiness so I can stand before God without embarrassment. Right, that's our that's what Holy Week's about. Right, you know, that's what this week's about. These last you know five weeks of of fasting and and uh, self examination and and. Uh, that's what it's about. It's not about, oh, this is going to make me saved. Mm-hmm. It's right. a wrong focused. Right. That's about myself. It should be about God and then others. Mm-hmm. And growing in holiness is living out the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. And so our work, faith and work, is not about, okay, if I do this job as a truck driver the best I can, am I going to be saved? It's about giving God glory. Right. It's about growing holiness in that place. Now, all of that is a background to the scripture you chose, sure. Kevin, because I do think uh, I think that makes the point of why this particular scripture fits into your thinking. Now, let me read this. In fact, I'm going to start reading at verse 1, and then we'll take us through um, verse 5, though you're going to focus more on 3 through 5, but I think verse 1 and 2 are essential because... In the beginning of verse five, uh, chapter five, excuse me, Paul is established this foundation. Therefore, verse one, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, 
and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which we, which has been given to us. Right. All right, Kevin, maybe first, why this passage? What, why have you chosen this passage for us to focus on? The, the thing that really grabbed me about this was that, uh, you know, as we talked about on the Journey Home Show, really suffering or difficulties, trials in our lives, whether they be big or small, are really inevitable. It's part of life. Everyone experiences that. And what I love about this verse is how it takes those, it just whatever they may be, because it's dynamic. It, it's different things at different times. And it transforms that. It shows the progression from that and how God can take any of those types of difficulties and transform them into hope, which does not disappoint. To me, that is a very profound thing. And it's nothing that would have occurred to me naturally. Uh, prior to looking at these verses and, and seeing the difference in the attitude that it produces for us as we strive for holiness, because it really makes us look at our daily challenges, our daily struggles, and even the really big and the profound and the hard uh, suffering that we sometimes go through with completely different lenses. Yeah, and in fact, the the reason I wanted to make sure we read verses 1 and 2 is the prelude to 3 through 5. Sure is to, again, clarify the assumptions on which we begin. If we see as the number one question the issue of salvation, if that's the defining question, then that also becomes the defining uh, uh, axiom, assumption for the meaning of justification by faith. Mm -hmm. Being justified means being saved in that criteria, where, in fact, the context of Romans in the New Testament points out that being justified is not that I was in this life and now I'm guaranteed of life in the next, but that I was apart from the body of Christ and now I'm a part of it. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. When you're justified, you're through baptism and faith become a part of the body of Christ. And the point is, like Ephesians 2, where it says, you know, you were lost and you were out there and and it was nothing that you did, none of the works you did when you were a pagan brought you into the body of Christ. Rather, by grace you were saved through faith. Mm -hmm. You were brought from that pagan lost life, awakened to the graces of God, and now through baptism and faith in Christ, you are now a part of the body. You are justified. You're a part of the body. And as it says in verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are part of the body. And through him we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. Now, not when we die, that's not the point. Now we are part of the body because of Jesus Christ and the grace we have received through the sacramental graces of baptism and through the gift of faith, which is a gift of grace. Sure. And we rejoice now in the hope, now we're talking mm-hmm. future, mm-hmm. of sharing in the glory of God. It's not a guarantee right? because we can turn, but we now are sharing in that hope. Okay, so what do we do now? <laughs> in the rejoicing in this hope, and that's what verses 3 through 5 right. are all about. Now, in a moment, we're going to take a break in, in a minute and a half, all right? But maybe as a prelude to that, if you want to step a little bit into this passage before we jump in the break. Sure. I think, again, the part that I love is we talk about rejoicing in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, And endurance, as we all know, is so critically important. Um, And endurance producing character, which is, again, along the lines of what we spoke about uh, the other day, it's it's, character is the proclivity to do the right thing. And so there's there's this need for us to develop that uh, over the course of time. And it's the trigger, though, is the difficulties. Well, let's just hold there, Kevin, because that's the issue of character, the issue of suffering, producing that character through. It produces the endurance that we need to fulfill the hope that we have that we'll share in the glory of God. So, I mean, all of this is Paul helping us know how. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Mark Scrodi, joined today by Kevin Lowry. You're hearing us from the Coming Home Network International, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today. Hi, this is Jerry Usher reminding you to listen to Vocation Boom Radio Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern exclusively on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Each week I bring you dynamic interviews with bishops, priests, vocation directors, even seminarians and those who support them, all in an effort to assist the Holy Spirit in what is truly a vocation boom around the world. That's Vocation Boom Radio Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern only on EWTN Radio. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Kevin Lowry. And uh, again, I want to remind you, if you haven't already, go to the chnetwork.org website where you'll find out all kinds of great stuff. Lots of conversion stories, lots of resources. Uh, There's a forum. There's connections to EWTN's uh, television and radio programs, uh, the newsletter, all kinds of, of, of great stuff. And plus, you can even watch the Deep in Scripture radio program uh, from our studio here. So I would encourage you to go to the website. Again, that's chnetwork.org. Kevin, all right, we're going to look at this passage in more detail. And uh, I know we've got a couple other passages you might want to look at also. But sure. verses 3 through 5 of Romans chapter 5, Paul is describing a uh, in essence, a staircase. There used to be an old song in the 60s, <laughs> Staircase to Heaven, right? Uh, well, he's got a staircase here. Uh, and and we, we begin at the bottom of the staircase, in essence, mm-hmm. with standing right now. It says, in which we, the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing. So here we are. We're standing in this grace which we have obtained through Jesus Christ, which in the bigger context of the New Testament means he's talking to baptized Christians who are a part of the body of Christ, regardless of whether they're Jew or Gentile. Mm-hmm. They're all one now through baptism and faith in Christ. They're, they're, they're members of the body, and they stand in that grace with the hope of sharing in the glory of God. That's what he's saying here. But then in verses 3 through 4 through 5, he describes a staircase in which we grow in holiness and hope. Suffering is the first step. Mm-hmm. And then it says, produces endurance, the second step. Produces character, the third step. And then produces hope, the fourth step. And it says that fourth step, hope, does not disappoint us, verse 5. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. So in essence, we see this staircase. One leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And the ability to do that, right? God's given to us. Why is it so necessary to see this as a staircase? Well, I think first and foremost, because it really corresponds to how we live it in practical day-to-day reality. Um, who among us has not encountered suffering, of course? 
But if if we have this framework, this staircase, as you're talking about, in mind as we approach these daily struggles, uh, these daily difficulties, then we know what it can lead to. Because with the suffering producing the endurance, that by nature takes time. Because we know that it, life is not like a 30-minute sitcom where you've got a problem and everything's neatly tied up by the end of the show. That's not the way it works. Things take time to work out. God takes time with us to build us into what he's trying to, to accomplish. And, and this is the very wisdom at which the church for 2,000 years has emphasized Lent. Yeah, absolutely. This is the reason for giving up meat on Friday. This is the reason for during Lent choosing another sacrifice. It's not works righteousness. Right. It's the development of endurance, the development of character. Right. Absolutely. And and so, you know, again, the endurance does produce character because after you've been able to live through these things and persevere through these things, then all of a sudden you have built endurance. You may not even recognize it, but it's there. And that endurance then produces the the character and the character hope. So I, it's it's really a very beautiful sort of way of looking at it. And it gives us a different perspective when we approach these difficulties. And it also points out, or at least suggests, why when you live in a culture that does everything it can to avoid suffering, <laughs> right. that we have people that have very little endurance, right. very little self-control. Sure. Um, and as a result, character is only skin deep. Right. And where's the hope? Mm-hmm. That's and right. so you end up with theologies that want to say that they want to come up with other alternative solutions. Sure. sure. In other words, if you really believe in Jesus, you aren't going to suffer. Right. And so they've got to come up with alternative understandings. But in the end, there's no development of the spiritual endurance to you know, the, the beauty of, of Lent is you, you give up something, you know, okay, I'm, you, you give up something that is a regular part of your life that is a good thing, mm-hmm. but you're developing your ability to endure tougher stuff. Exactly. So your character can deal when the big stuff comes. Absolutely. And one of the best ways to do that is start with the small stuff. And it's it's also a testament to the power of the Holy Spirit working within us because one of the stories, for example, that I tell in the book is, uh, and it was based on a homily I heard years ago, although I understand this was also a TV commercial, and it was a, a little kid at a piano recital and, you know, started to, to bang out Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star with kind of one finger on the keyboard and not doing a very good job. But at the same time, a world-renowned pianist comes up behind the, this child and starts filling in the notes and produces this, this beautiful music that brings the crowd to a spontaneous standing ovation at the end. And my sense was that's what the Holy Spirit does for us because even when our own efforts are a little bit on the clunky side, the Holy Spirit can really use even that for God's glory. And it's, it's just a, a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, but I, um, the little sufferings prepare us to handle the big ones, the staircase. And if we can look in this in the context of, like, okay, right now, each one of us, if we are baptized, we are a member of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are a member of the body of Christ. And that's the grace in which we stand. We didn't get there on our own. If we think we did, we're just deluding ourselves. It was a gift of grace. Here we are. Okay. I want to share in the glory of God. Okay. How do I do that? Well, it's not a formula. It's about giving God the glory, giving him the glory, leaving the glory that he gives us to him. Right? And so, but we recognize that we have flawed characters. Absolutely. But there's an opportunity that's implicit in that because we can take even the craziest and, and, and smallest uh, incidents that happen to us on a daily basis and offer them for the glory of God. And I'll give you an example of this. this. This is a little bit funny because it was very embarrassing to me. But another story that I tell in the book is that um, uh, the firm that I worked with for some time 
had a picnic, a company picnic one day. And uh, they chose a number of the executives to have a tricycle race. And unfortunately, I got picked for, for one team, and they had these somewhat larger-sized tricycles, but they had handlebars that, that uh, my knees didn't fit under, and, I, you know, I'm six foot four. And so it, it was sort of, if you can picture me trying to make my way around a track in a tricycle, and it kind of a mixture of pedaling and waddling, and we lost, and we lost badly because I couldn't do it to save my life. But at the same time, so there was kind of a humiliation that came out of that. And it was funny because there was really an effect that was quite contrary to that. Because, yeah, I had to endure that little bit of humiliation. It, you know, it didn't cause any, any uh, uh, major consternation. But at the same time, it was troubling, yet it had such a powerful impact on some of the relationships because people liked to see uh, th- that little uh, humiliating thing take place. And it, it, uh, it was an amazing thing. Another aspect of this, I feel a little awkward bringing this up on, on live radio, but Paul's wisdom here um, is how we prepare our lives from the time we're young to the time we're middle-aged to the time we're older to be able to handle the tough stuff as it comes our way. Yeah. yeah. When we're teenagers, we think nothing's ever going to happen to us. You know, we're in our 20s, most of us healthy, you know, go out and run a marathon, many of us. I, mean, right. I know it's not true of everybody, but there you are, you know. Become 30, become 40, become 50 mm-hmm. pretty soon. Mm-hmm. It's getting tougher all the time, mm-hmm. and we're using drugs to ease the suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember what's that that cartoon movie out there with the, the little robot that's out in there in space, and that all, all of all the humanity in, on Earth was put into a big spaceship to go out until Earth could be habitable again. I can't think of the mm. the, the, the the Disney movie, but they show all the people in this. They're all huge and fat because all they've been laying around and just in luxury. Mm-hmm. I mean, there we are. Mm-hmm. And so as we get older, we can't handle right the stuff. Right. And, and it's because we haven't all of the journey of our life prepared ourselves. Right. And and this is why, once again, I, I went from Romans 5 to another uh, scripture verse that just kind of knocked my socks off, was in Acts chapter 5. And they talked about the apostles being hauled in front of the Sanhedrin. And and they were flogged. They were flogged and, and told not to, not to do this anymore. And the way it goes in verse uh, uh, 41, it says, They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And I just, that really sunk in at one point. I thought, you know, these guys were flogged and they left rejoicing. Think about the change in mentality that that requires. How were they predisposed through suffering, through endurance, through their character to have suffered such a, a serious you know, a, a problem. I mean, being flogged is not something that happens in our contemporary culture. But these guys got it with with both barrels, so to speak, and they rejoiced. That absolutely blew me away because it shows that if you look back at the early Christians, and and you see their attitudes, the attitudes are so profoundly different from the ones that that we generally in in our culture have today. But isn't that an opportunity? Isn't that an opportunity for us to to emulate their tremendous example and to use, again, the, the mostly the small stuff, but sometimes the bigger things, offer it up for God's glory and do so with, with a spirit of gratitude? Because what it really gets down to is, do we have faith? Do we have faith not only when it's easy to see in retrospect what God has done for us in our lives, but do we have faith prospectively? And are we able to trust him even with the situations that we can't see our way out of? Paul said in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything. Yeah. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Later on, he says, not that I complain of want, but I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is the point, is in the midst of suffering. There's the test. It's not as important whether you're being the best teacher, but what is your heart in that act of teaching? Right. Right. You know, what, what is your attitude? What is your expression of love? What is your, are you thankful? Mm-hmm. Or are you mm-hmm. complaining? Are you whining? I heard uh, a, a really great commentary recently about how one, one individual was making the point that really most of our sins of omission are where we're missing opportunities to love others. And that really struck me because... If you look at First Thessalonians 5, every time everybody who, who buys a book on my website, I sign it. And, and, of course, I jokingly say I'm not sure if that increases or decreases the market value. But <laughs> I, I put a scripture verse in there, and I put First Thessalonians 5, 14 through 19. And one of the reasons is right in the heart of that, it says, Rejoice always. Pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is where I got my inspiration for my website name, gratefulconvert.com, because I have such a depth of gratitude for being called into the Catholic Church. Uh, You know, when I was a kid, I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I did that, and and there was something very right about that. At the same time, when I became Catholic, I felt like God was choosing me. It was a very different sort of thing. And the only response, the only proper response that I have to that is gratitude. But it's very seldom in Scripture that we see something so clearly laid out that this is what we're to do. We're to rejoice. Let's take a pause there, and we're going to take one last break and come back uh, because uh, maybe one of the significant, the second shortest verses in the Bible, you know, everybody says the first is Jesus wept. Right. Well, this one of the second is verse 17, pray, pray constantly. constantly. Absolutely. Let's talk about that when we come back from the break. Okay. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Kevin Lowry, and you're hearing us on EWTN. Your Global Catholic Radio Network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1 800 664 5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. Your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Kevin Lowry. And we're looking at, um, in conclusion here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it, it lists a number. Oh, again, these aren't so much stepping stones as the other verse was, but these are all key building blocks, right? if you will, for character. Uh, and, of course, one is an attitude of rejoicing always. Another story in verse 18 is being thankful in all circumstances. Uh, and it says this is the will. But right in the sandwich of those two things is the meat, which is verse 17, pray constantly. Right. And how one does that. And that really is how one, in terms of in their work, is able to make every action of value right. spiritually. Right. Absolutely no question. It's it's amazing because one of the things that I hear uh, constantly from people just on a practical level is I'm so busy. I don't have time to get everything done. I'm trying to balance work and home and a marriage and kids and all these different things. And uh, I, I wrote a chapter about that, uh, that that focuses on a plan of life. 
And really the purpose of that whole thing is to prioritize spiritual practices, but really it is, it's it's a transformative sort of action where we're trying to do literally everything for the greater glory of God and to turn all of those normal, mundane, daily activities into acts of prayer themselves. In fact, I'm going to recommend something to some of our audience, all the audience, but some of you are going to think this is crazy. Some of you (laughs) come from where I came from, you're going to think my recommendation is just goony. Because uh, the church recognizes something called indulgences. And I know that especially those of you think that's the number one uh, straw that broke the camel's back of the Reformation, and it was. And basically a misunderstanding of the church's teachings on indulgences. But I'm going to recommend a book that you can download for free from the Coming Home website. It's called The Incuridian of Indulgences. And it's the official book of the Catholic Church that explains what the church means by indulgences and why and the importance of it. Plus, it gives you the whole list of all of them there. But the reason I'm bringing that up now is I don't want to talk about indulgences now and what that all is about, all about but it says that, again, a partial indulgence, in other words, that's, the church is saying that this act has value, spiritual value, if you do it. It isn't a guarantee, right. go, to, go to heaven card. It has to do with this issue of dealing with suffering and endurance and character and hope. That's what it's about. And mercy. And mercy. Yeah. But it says that one is granted to the faithful who, in the performance of their duties and in bearing the trials of life, raise their mind with humble confidence to God, adding, even if only mentally, some pious invocation. Mm -hmm. That's how you (laughs) pray continuously. In other words, they're saying, whenever you do anything, if in the midst of doing that, you offer some mental act of worship, Mm-hmm. Giving glory to God, number one, right? Mm-hmm. Giving glory to God, that in a way makes that entire action glorious. Mm-hmm. We see that lived out in St. Therese, mm-hmm. who believed that the little seeds of love, the little act of love in washing the dishes and peeling potatoes in itself was as holy of an act as anything the Holy Father does, anything a priest does, anything, it's as holy. And so, for example, the um, it says that this first grant, I'm reading from the book, is intended to serve as an incentive to the faithful to put into practice the commandment of Christ that they must always prayer, pray and not lose heart. At the same time as a reminder, so to perform their respective duties as to preserve and strengthen their union with Christ. And so if you looked at this, it's a list of, of scriptures you can memorize, like 1 Corinthians 10, therefore whether you eat or drink, and do anything else, do all for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this has incredible practical implications, too, because, um, first of all, in a, in a very beautiful sense, it gives us all hope because we, can, we all have a, a great disparity of gifts. And I know uh, one, one guy who I've known for decades who has Down syndrome. And I've used him as an example in some of my writing before because, in my view, he is one of the best people that I know of truly living his gifts in a beautiful way because I, he's just he's such a good-hearted guy. He impresses me. He inspires me. So that, that is a, just, it's, again, it's a source of hope for all of us. But the other thing that strikes me as we talk about this is that as, as we see Protestant clergy coming to the Coming Home Network, in many cases, there's this sense of almost what we were talking about before, almost as if you have to take a step backwards if you're not going to be a minister and now you're going to take a secular job, because that's part of the mindset in some ways, in that they are serious about their faith. They want to give everything to God, but they're conditioned, in a sense, to think that the best way to do that is the ministry. And in fact, this runs directly contrary to that. It can be done any way. It can be done through any type of legitimate work. When I had a, we had a dairy cow on our farm for 
about seven, eight years. And so one of us had to be out there at least twice a day, <laughs> uh, milking in the morning, milking at night. And um, we had to for the health of the cow, sure. let alone get the good treasure of, of, of the wonderful milk that we got from our jersey, our Christ, named Christina, who was a wonderful jersey cow. <laughs> but I remember as I grew in my understanding of, of how do I make that moment mm-hmm. more than a mere drudgery, mm-hmm. Because so often when we don't see value in our work, the goal is I get this done so I can do something of value. And as a result of that, we we don't have the endurance mm-hmm. to make that work itself the best that it can be right. because we're just trying to get beyond it to something else. You know, what if your job is cleaning up a horse stall? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that merely get it done to move on to something else? Or do you say, how do I make this moment of value? And I used to pray the Jesus prayer, which is more familiar to Eastern Christians than it is to us Western Christians, but it's this wonderful prayer based on Scripture. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, or on mercy on us sinners. But there's a rhythm rhythm to that. Lord Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Nice little rhythm. And I used to milk to that. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy. But it wasn't merely the practice of of the rhythm but is how can I get my heart around this Sure. so that my heart is in it? I actually use a, an abbreviated uh, version of that on the treadmill when I run. I just <laughs> it's, it's Lord have mercy, and it's, it's sort of that same rhythmic sort of thing. But that's one of the phrases from the Incuridon of Indulgences. In other words, mm-hmm. that when you offer that up, right. you've made this act, this work of grace, of right. value right. spiritually. And the idea of offering it up is is not doing it for me. That way this thing counts towards heaven. That's not the point at all. Mm-hmm. But you're doing this in Christ's command for others. Absolutely. And that's part of the greatest thing that we can do is that when we encounter these sufferings, we can, we can then take that and offer it for the benefit of someone else specifically. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I forget which great saint implied that when you get to heaven, you better not have your hands empty. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know, we are to be bringing others with us. That's the great commission. And so whatever we do, you do for the glory of God, Paul says. And when you're doing that, you're doing it as a witness Mm -hmm. to those around you, as well as offering this work up for grace. Right that God might use to change the hearts and minds of others. All right, Kevin, thanks. Thank you. What's that book again? It's called Faith at Work, Finding Purpose Beyond the Paycheck, and the website is gratefulconvert.com. All right. You can also go to chnetwork.org to find out more about our work. God bless you all. See you next week.